This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. This is a really unique episode of Play-by-Play Cast. Welcome back into the pod, everybody. Joel Godet, glad to have you along with us. Many thanks for clicking subscribe or download or rating. If you've rated the podcast, thanks to the three of you who since last week have rated us on iTunes. Many uh, much appreciated. All three of you five stars. Somebody out there gave us four. I don't know who you are, but we are eight of nine on five stars. Have to work harder. <laughs> Thanks again, though, for clicking subscribe or download. Uh, finding us on social media, if uh, you'd like to do that as well, feel free to reach out. Love to hear from people, comments, suggestions, uh, criticisms, what have you, whatnot, ideas, people you want to hear on the podcast, anything that comes to your mind. Uh, we're on Twitter, at PXPCast. I am on Twitter, at Joel Godet as well, so uh, feel free to give us a shout. Uh, Dave Ryan is our guest, though, today from the CBS Sports Network. And it's the first time, and I said unique guest, because it is the first time I have a guest on the podcast who was my college professor. So this was kind of a cool uh, turnabout to sit down and do this one with Dave. He broadcast the Ball State Ohio men's basketball game inside Worthen Arena last Friday, a week from today, if you're listening to this on time. Um, We'll get to that in a second. But it was cool just to be able to sit down with Dave. He was my sports on television professor back in 2008. He and Stephen Fonte from News Channel 9 WSY are up there. Really great basketball player at Ithaca back in his time. Uh, But they were my professors for TV sports reporting. Uh, We basically did packages and and learned how to be, for the most part, local news uh, TV sports reporters. It was kind of the, the breakout specialty class that you could take at the higher levels Um, once you had kind of gotten through all your basics at Syracuse. And I don't know how Dave has any kind of uh, decent opinion of me because I I remember for a fact three of the packages I did for Dave's class. Uh, One of them was I was a high school fencer and I grew up in New Jersey where high school fencing is a really big deal. Uh, and in New York City, where high school fencing, or just fencing is a really big deal, club fencing and things of that nature. In central New York, fencing is not a big deal. Like, nobody has a team. It's not a thing. And I, I distinctly remember for Dave's class, I did a, a package about why, like why that was the case. <laughs> why there was a sport that was so successful downstate and so revered in New York City and down in New Jersey, and Cornell, uh, which is, what, an hour south of Syracuse, maybe a little more than that, had, has a really good team, men's and women's, like why fencing wasn't a big deal in, in central New York, which I was trying to think outside the box. It was kind of a ludicrous premise, and thinking back on it, I don't think it went well at all. The other two packages I remember specifically were... Uh, there was one high school nearby. I don't remember which one it was anymore. And I don't want to say the wrong name uh, just in case. But there was a high school in Syracuse that's football field had been condemned. And they could not play anymore because there were like potholes in the field. So I did a story about playing their games elsewhere. They had homecoming at some other high school's field. And I remember specifically I went to the actual condemned field on a Saturday morning. Like had a Saturday morning something. I, I think I... I'm pretty sure at the time I was working as a producer for Tea Time with the Pronoun, the Saturday morning golf show on the sports radio station. doesn't exist anymore. 620 WHEN in Syracuse. And uh, went to the the golf show, then went out to shoot a stand-up for my package for Dave's class at this condemned football field. And from there, had to race back to campus because I was broadcasting a field hockey game and did not leave myself enough window of time for that. And wound up speeding to get back to campus. I got pulled over 
Um, I, I explained in a very hurriedly, like, frazzled state to the cop that I was going to be late for a broadcast. Uh, he gave me a warning, and I made it to the field hockey field as they were introducing the seniors on senior day, put the headset on and went. Uh, that package turned out okay. The third package I distinctly remember doing for Dave's class, I did on a professional wrestling school in central New York because I just thought it was cool. And I, like, as a kid, had this affinity for professional wrestling. The package did not come out well at all. Like, this was... I I did not do a lot of TV... A ton of TV work when I was in college. And, uh... It just didn't... it, It didn't... It didn't work. Like, I... I, I'm pretty sure I, the music behind it was bad. I, the fact that there was music behind it, uh, it, just, it, none of it went well. But the cool thing about it in hindsight, and I wish I knew this then, for people that know me now, I've become a very big professional wrestling fan. And the school, it's actually closed down in Syracuse. 2CW Wrestling, Squared Circle Wrestling was the promotion. It just shut down, uh, finished its last show, I think, at the end of 2015, if I'm right. But the, the, the promotion at the time, and I didn't know this, and like the inner geek in me now is freaking out, but the, the, the promotion at the time, like in the months after I did that story, this is one of the cards. Brody Lee defeats Claudio Castagnoli. AJ Styles defeats Loca Vita. Now, if you know anything about pro wrestling, Nigel McGuinness defeats Eddie Edwards. Same card. This was months after I did this story. Uh, Nigel McGuinness is employed by WWE as an announcer. Eddie Edwards is a former TNA champion. Uh, AJ Styles is like three weeks removed from being the world champion of WWE. Brody Lee is Luke Harper. And Claudio Castagnoli is Cesaro, if uh, anybody's a a huge wrestling fan and, and knows those names. Jim Duggan was on the card before that. The Motor City Machine Guns. Chris Sabin was in TNA. Uh, he was on there. Like, everybody you know, Kevin Steen was the world champion. Kevin Owens, uh, now in, in WWE. These guys were all in this promotion that I went to shoot a package about for Dave Ryan's class when I was in college. Uh, the head of it, by the way, was a guy named Zachary Springgate, and this is why the package was cool. Uh, Zachary Springgate was the, the head of the promotion and the wrestling school and was also a business instructor by day in uh, the Syracuse College of Business. So that was kind of the neat little twist. But, God, if I was as big a wrestling fan as I am now back then, it would have been, it would have been a totally different marking out situation. Uh, but that's what I remember uh, about what I did for Dave Ryan when he was my college professor, and somehow he still decided it was a good idea to sit down with me and do something professionally and come be on this podcast. So that, as the long-winded preface, is our introduction to Dave Ryan, who currently works for CBS Sports Network. He joined the network in 2009. Prior to that, he worked for ESPN uh, for more than a decade. Uh, Mostly known for bowling coverage, was the bowling guy on ESPN for a long time, and was the lacrosse guy. And as a Syracuse student, lacrosse was a big deal obviously so cross paths with Dave a lot through that and uh, he called the final fours with Quinn Kesnick and the national championships and all of that and still does um, for Westwood one now on the radio Uh, a long time at ESPN a lot of good stories to talk about so we'll touch on all that stuff professionally with Dave we'll talk about his time at Syracuse he's an alum Uh, we've got some Mike Tirico stories and anecdotes uh, in our interview here so uh, really excited to, to share this conversation with you that Dave and I had sitting down uh, when the Cardinals took on Ohio. We'll get to the conversation real quick. I usually do this at the end, but I'll do it now uh, because I'll be honest, when I listen to podcasts and the interview's over, I usually don't listen to the tag. So I'll throw it out there now. If you're curious, we've got a really good slate of guests lined up in coming weeks as well. Dave Ryan today. Uh, Next week will be Bob Joyce of the Connecticut women's basketball team. We'll talk to Bob about what it's like broadcasting 100 consecutive wins. So talk a little basketball history and what it's like to be a part of that. Bob Joyce is our guest next week. Alex Faust and uh, Lisa Byington are coming up in uh, future weeks as well. Alex Faust, one of the really good up-and-comers in this industry. And then Lisa Byington will be the first female play-by-play announcer that we've had on the pod. So looking forward to that conversation. If you have any questions for them, uh, feel free to hit me up. Can't promise... uh, 
that the times work out as far as getting those questions and then doing the interviews. But if it does jive, anything you want to know from any of those folks, uh, just hit me up on Twitter again at Joel Godet or, or hit us up at PXPcast. All right. Now to Dave Ryan. The premise we begin this interview on, it is Friday night, 9 o'clock, Worthen Arena, Muncie, Indiana. Ball State has just lost to Ohio 79-77. Ball State led the game with about a minute and a half to go. I'm making that up, but it was somewhere in that vicinity. Trailed by 25 with three minutes to go in the first half. So we had kind of a swing of how you thought that broadcast was going to go. That's the premise we begin our conversation on today with Dave Ryan of CBS Sports Network. He's here on PXPCast. What's it like when you come on the road and, and do games like this? Because you just kind of parachute in. and You parachute in. You get the first 20 minutes where you're probably thinking, I really hope I did my homework, and then the second 20 minutes where <laughs> all your storytelling kind of goes out the window. Yeah, you have a lot of prep, Joel. You have <laughs> a lot of prep. And I think I probably over-prepare knowing that a TV broadcast, especially with an analyst like Steve Wolf, who's so good, He's uber prepared as well. You're going to use 10 to 15% of your material. And I still find myself trying to hold back on nuggets and not use as many notes that I have prepared from game notes, media guide, clips, watching two or three games of each team on tape, and then, of course, coming to the shoot-around. So you're really involved with a team briefly <laughs> for 36 to 48 hours I mean you're really into it. Now, if we have one game a week, you can really dive into your prep sure. and then feel comfortable. The last couple games, we have a, I had a Tuesday, Friday, and a trip home to Florida between. So the prep time and the lack of rest and early morning flights and flying up here from Florida last night kind of wears on you as the season gets really into its latter stages. <laughs> sure. so, so sometimes you think March Madness can't come soon enough just because you want to feel more comfortable about your prep, about the games you're doing. Sure. So it all depends on the event you have, how much you put into it. I was going to say, what do you do prep-wise? Because uh, I'm sure it's easy to over-prep, especially the way the internet is now. Sure. Um, and then obviously you're parachuting in, so yeah. you're trying to act First time yourself. here at yeah. Muncie. I've never been to Ball State. Uh, like, what are, you, cool. what are you learning about everything, anything, team, city? I mean, what goes into it for you? First step, go to the school website and then print out game notes the pro- from the prior game, okay. of course, schools all do game notes, do a great job. Tyson here at Ball State. Um, so I have a good feel for maybe the first five or six pages. It's going to be outdated because the sure. time I get those game notes, they will play another game. And they always, they always, I feel like they always post them like nine hours before the game. Yeah, like, they, oh. <laughs> sometimes a little bit late, <laughs> sometimes very late. We've had a couple of our, our games where they get it actually out at midnight um, beforehand, the day before, which is really tough to catch yeah. up with. Yeah. So, and then I'll really, I'll go to the tape. I'll watch games. So, these days, the Watch ESPN app or Hoop One Media or the five or six different tools you have yeah. to watch games has changed our business, I think, dramatically. Sure. So, I'm a big workout guy. Like, I'll go to the treadmill with my tablet. And I'll watch have the game. rosters and watch the game. So, I can, I've timed it out where a 30-minute run on the treadmill, you can watch a half. So, now you can video scrub past all the commercials. Uh, no offense, not past your opening. I'm going to watch you on camera for the ESPN3 broadcast, of course, for Ball State. Um, so it's just – and being able to take those tablets everywhere or your iPhone everywhere and have tape at your fingertips. So for football, I'm watching all week long. Like, I don't stop watching games. As you get later in the season and you have a team that's played six or seven games, I'll try to watch three full football games the week of the game, just so I know the players. What are you, I mean, was so, say, what are you looking for? Are you just trying to get a feel on guys? Obviously, if there's big moments that happen, but I, everything. what's your process? Everything. Okay. I have to listen to you as an announcer, for the, the, especially announcers who know the teams well. That really helps me. So I'll listen to what the coaches <laughs> said at shoot-around to you guys. Don't watch Ball State. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I learn more about what Coach Woodford is saying to his to, his, to the media, to you, and to his players. What happened to shoot around, when injuries happened, little nuggets and anecdotes that can help me in my broadcast. So I'll definitely write that down. I mean, I'm taking notes on the players, body types, um, and the fact that Sellers and Weber look so much alike for Ball State. Actually, once I got the game going, I think I was perfect tonight <laughs> on that. I was, Steve was constantly checking his roster to make sure 33, 34 were the right guys to refer to. Um, and then I'll go through game notes. I'll look at clips from the team probably from a week out or so. The SIDs, the media relations people, are so helpful. They're the lifeline. I mean, if, if you don't have someone who's on the ball, good about updating injuries and suspensions and story, the top, the can't-miss stories of the team. So usually if I have time in a week, I'll send the email out at the start of the week, hey, to Tyson or to whomever it may be, the SID, um, 
look, here, here, what, here's what I need. I'd love to get a hard copy media guide. That's rare these days. <laughs> Most SIDs don't print those anymore. Yeah. And I think that actually hurts us in prep. Yeah. I'm a big hard copy guy. I like being able to... I'm very tactile. So, like, I want yeah. to turn a page... It helps, doesn't and it? ...and highlight something if I need to. During the game on a laptop or tablet, if you have eight seconds to find a stat, you so cannot hard. do it if it's a, a virtual media guide or game notes. So, I still print out a lot of things, even, like, the preseason prospectus. I'll do that. Yeah. And I really like that to look back to try to catch up on a team. So I'll go back to preseason prospectus to get a feel what the what the thoughts were heading into the year. Um, their aspirations, their hopes, of course, most of that's positive stuff. Sure. So it's just a kind of a combination of all those things together. And then going, shoot-arounds are critical. So talking to players, getting a feel from the coaches, assistant coaches. Steve Wolf, my analyst, is big into talking to assistants. Um, he'll get a lot of different perspectives other than just the head coach who's sure. got sort of a one, you know, one-track mind on what he wants us to know. Um, and it's a recruiting tool. There's no question. What we do helps the program. So you, they want it to be positive, but sometimes there are negative stories like at Western Michigan this year, and you have to address that. Sure. You have to talk about it because as a national broadcast, we come in for one game in a season doing Western Michigan, for example. We've had them twice, but um, – you have to at least do those hard stories one time. How do you do something like that? Because, you know, obviously Western Michigan was here. We didn't touch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I looked at it from the standpoint of, all right, he played seven minutes a game. He hasn't been around for 15 mm-hmm. games. Not a huge loss to them statistically. Like if it was Thomas Wilder, well, okay, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in a guy like that, how do you approach it from, you know, the loss of him hasn't necessarily impacted the way they play on the court. Certainly there's a social impact to it. Um, how do you guys broach that as a, as a national group coming in? I thought it was a, a really fascinating story. Joe Ver Kennedy, I believe, is yep. his name, a uh, freshman who tragically is, uh, was involved in the murder of a fellow Western Michigan student. Um, we defer to our news department in this case. Okay. Uh, Jody Logston, who's a Syracuse grad, runs the now CBS Sportsnet and CBS Sports News Department, if that all makes sense to you. Sure, yeah. So she tracks, she and her group, she has uh, researchers and, and uh, assistants who track all the national stories every day. We get an email every single day from her group. And then if something like this happens, and ESPN, when I was there, my years there, had a very similar group of, of people led by uh, former news, either news directors or re- reporters or writers from major Boston Globe, big papers. Sure. And they will help you script what they want us to say. Okay. So whenever that happens, anything controversial, especially involving a felony, a major crime, uh, we defer to them. They write the copy. copy comes out through the associate director, the AD. We get that on an email probably two or three days. days out from the game. They know all about it. We know all about it. And I read it as is. Now, in this case, Steve Hawkins, the head coach, told us, he said, we actually brought our team together. And he had a lot of things that I think, in addition to this tragic event, were interesting. But we were told, read the copy and move on. Okay. No follow-up comments. We specifically asked. When did you read it? Um... I think it was first half, I think, after the 12-minute time. Okay, so that's so it's coming half. out of a break. Let's address it and then go. A generic shot from our director, uh, Dan Regan at the time in that game, of the bench, read the copy, move on. Okay. No follow-ups. Gotcha. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and, and it is an interesting story. It's a tragic story, of course, but from a TV's perspective. Sure. Journalistically, we have an obligation having covered – that was the first time we had covered Western all year. So we had to say something about it. And it had happened a while ago. He was not that significant a player, but we addressed it and moved on. It's interesting. And I think you guys do a really good job of that as a network, too, because CBS Sports Network got some kind of praise um, football game at Eastern Michigan mm-hmm. when, when Ben was doing it, um, when they had the protests and they, they surrounded the field. And, and, and like, you, you stayed on the air for mm-hmm. 15 minutes, I think, as a network. And, and kind it was of, and really not, not particularly um, well planned out, in that, and they didn't know about it yeah. and, until kind of the last minute. And I know that our network received a lot of praise for that. It was, yeah. it was a really good moment for us, uh, journal- journalistically uh, reporting something that was a major news story. And we happened to be there. We actually covered a game, a college football game this year. It was UCF at East Carolina. And the East Carolina marching band, several of the, play- of the marching band members took a knee and did not play the national anthem. Oh, wow. So in protest, and which is their right to do. Um, I was impressed that they had the, the uh, courage to do that. Um, it was not covered by us live on national TV. We don't cover the anthem. We're in commercial break at that point. But a large group of the fans at uh, Dowdy Ficklin in East Carolina, the fans there at that stadium booed the, the, the band members who did not participate in playing their own national anthem, which sure. is an odd image that Troy put together. So we, Melanie Collins, our reporter, uh, did a great report on it. We followed it up, and uh, the university immediately came out with a statement within minutes, and we were handed some paper, and we talked about that. And then we moved on from that. Um, 
there wasn't too many more step weren't too many more steps to take after but we were sort of thrust in that light as well that's where you get to be a journalist and a sports guy all in one which is which is good sometimes and sometimes yeah no well yeah, that's yeah that's true yeah. Um, but it's good that you get to kind of wear both hats sometimes mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. get that uh, exposure um if i can go from a less serious note um sure. you're wearing it now so i'm curious uh what's the deal with the the cbs jacket how's the everybody has one so the like cbs blazer yeah do you get got fitted? it on here does everything that no. you wear have to go with navy like do you get well a black yeah one? we've recently my wife Tess has been great about buying some <laughs> really cool checkered and some like lime green shirts with some great ties. <laughs> okay. Steve Wolf's been very envious, my analyst, about the new look for Dave Ryan recently. But um, yeah, the the CBS Blazers go back, I think, to up to forty years, a long time. If you if you remember, and I don't know, Joel, you're younger, but if you remember Monday Night Football, yeah, oh yeah, Howard Cosell for and sure. Eddie Don and Frank Gifford were those gold Blazers for years. So and so did Jim McKay going way back and. Um, you know Jim Lampley and all the, the you know their major on-air stars at ABC Sports, and that, I think that's where CBS got the idea originally. Sure, and then they were only reserved really for CBS broadcast, big CBS. And I think about four years ago, uh, someone in management in New York said, "Let's just have it. We want to have our graphic look be the same." And the on-air male men announcers wearing the CBS blazer as well. How many do you so get? So we have it. I just have one. Okay. <laughs> 40 regular. Okay. So don't get any ideas. Yeah, uh, no, but I have to get it dry clean you know, every two, three times in basketball season for sure. Otherwise, it just gets so beaten up. But we use it for football, basketball, lacrosse, and spring sports. We use golf shirts usually. Is it cool? Like, I mean... I know the first time I did a game on ESPN three mm-hmm. and I held a mic flag that said mm-hmm. ESPN. Like I know it's not the real deal yet, but like you just feel a it's sense. It's a real of, deal. Come on, that's sell yourself short. That's man. fair. But like uh, yeah. you know, we don't get to put uniforms on. Right. You you put on a jersey that says <laughs> CBS jersey. every time. CBS jersey. Um, I, it is. It's very special. I mean, the fact that it's got the history surrounding Pat Summerall and Jim Nance and the, these legends, Sean McDonough for many years at CBS, Greg Gumbel, uh, Clark Kellogg, Billy Packer, Brent Musburger. Think about the legends who have worn that. I mean, yeah. It goes back in some of the, the great moments in, in NCAA basketball history and college football and the NFL and, of course, the Masters and the PGA and the great, great PGA events. So it, it's cool to be connected to that, for sure. What do you like about CBS? And, and what's this whole gig? What is this now, seven This years? is my eighth basketball eighth season. Year? So finish my eighth football season in the eighth basketball year with a, a season with, with a month to go. Um, it's been great. Uh, full-time there. So as a staffer, um, you really get get into some of the, the main events that CBS Sports Network has. And a couple of times a year I'll be on big CBS for women's college basketball or, or – uh, arena bowl or something like that whatever they may cover a college football game that they need an extra announcer for so it's really been wonderful uh great family um when i got there it was called cbs college sports so cbs had was using their name but not running it yet it was oh, okay. run by different people i didn't know that and then as i got uh, as it got further on they dropped the college and went to so cover all sports and they do pbr uh, bull riding um pro lacrosse, pro soccer, baseball. Now they can branch out to whatever they, they like. Lots of bowling. Don't forget the bowling. I was going to say. thing I cover. Uh, so then we went to just the CBS Sports Network. And it, it's been a tremendous ride for me. And I met so many great people along the trail. And I, just, I, I love doing the games. Being at live events, there's nothing like that. Did it work? I, did the bowling thing just work out that you happened to be there when they when they started doing bowling? Well, you appreciate it? this being a Syracuse. Yeah. Game. So I'm not. Did you ever intern at Channel 3, WSTM? I did not. I interned right. with Steve. So I was at, at, I was at SYR, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, so well, you started IXT. That, yeah, true. WSYR changed their call letters. So uh, my second. TV job. Was it STM? 25 years old. This is 1991. Okay. Way back um, was it STM. And they had two bowling lanes in their studio. No longer exist. They've been, they've been demolished since then. And we, had, we did play-by-play for two bowling shows a week. One was challenge bowling, and that was with kids, little kids from central New York would come in. They'd bowl. <laughs> we'd do a half-hour show, and they'd air, it wouldn't be live. They'd tape it and air it whenever they wanted to on, on the weekends. Why? And then we also did championship bowling <laughs> with uh, professionals or adults who come in and bowl for money. That's crazy. Why? <laughs> it was programming. <laughs> um, I think the kids' show was half an hour. Maybe the, the adult show was an hour. But actually, when I was at ESPN, um, Gary Thorne had done some bowling, and some of the other big names had done bowling, and they needed to fill in. Like, at the last second, they called me up and said, look, you do track and field and speed skating and water polo? Just go do bowling. But luckily, I had done it before, so it wasn't too difficult. And then I got a call from Jed Drake, who was then the vice president of remote production at ESPN. He said, congratulations, you're the new voice of the PBA. There was no <laughs> choice involved. There was no do you want to do it. 
And I said, that could conflict with some football. And he said, don't worry, we're doing football on the Mac on Tuesdays now. And that, <laughs> that's really when ESPN decided to change college football. We're going to air a bunch of Mac games on Tuesday. We're going to take football to Friday nights. They hadn't done that yet. Thursday and Saturday only. And then they decided to put games all week. And this is right around 2002, okay. 2003. So I got the bowling gig. And Joel, I met my wife on a bowling show. Seriously. True story. Medford, Oregon, Lava Lanes, Tess, then Finger, now Tess Ryan, came down from Hood River, Oregon, five hours with her girlfriends for a weekend out. True story. <laughs> they, they made up a fictitious Pete Weber fan club. Do you know who Pete Weber is? Of course. Famous bowler. They read about him in the New, York, New Yorker magazine. He's had a lot of trouble with, you know, off, off the lanes issues, put it that way. <laughs> All right? So they made up a fake fan club, website, T-shirts, drove six hours, five, whatever it was, in a van, rented a van, <laughs> van by the river. True story, drove down there to see Pete Weber. They walked in to Lava Lanes, which is a mom-and-pop bowling alley. Most TV bowling shows you see are in the regular mom-and-pop yeah. alleys, regular bowling center, nothing special. Expecting to maybe see Pete bowl. They walk to the bar, and there he is. <laughs> And he says, my fan, he's got a raspy voice. He's smoked for years and years. My fan club is here. Hey, girls. He gives them all a hug. They all start <laughs> drinking. And I had done the East-West Shrine Bowl in San Francisco and flew into Medford, and there they were. And I met Tess, my wife. We have been married 10 years with three kids together. Did Pete Weber get an invite? No. You know what? We did invite him. And we invited Randy Peterson. Pete said no immediately. Okay. Um, we invited Randy Peterson, my longtime bowling analyst, who still does some CBS stuff with me in our fall or summer series uh, for the PBA, but he couldn't come either. Speaking of random things, by the way, I think we're going to get a chance to do play-by-play of a women's basketball manager's awesome. game coming up awesome. here in a minute. Um, I'm ready. How do I'm you, not ready, actually. <laughs> how do you do play-by-play for bowling? Bowling is an interesting sport. I would compare it to tennis in okay. that you don't have to say a lot. If you listen to Chris Fowler on ESPN do the majors or Dan Hicks, you know, he's really good longtime tennis announcers. They don't say much. Um, you set things up for the serve in tennis, and then you lay out, which in our broadcast business means shut up, don't talk, until the point is over. In this case... Player has the ball, starts his or her approach, and as soon as that ball is out of his or her hand, you lay out until the pin crash. Now, the hardest part of bowling, if you can envision the 10 pins, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, is where the ball hits for a right-hander in the 1-3 pocket and what the pins do. Okay. There are literally about 50 different possibilities of what happens to the pins and where the ball started and where it ends up in terms of the hook. Sure. So a lefty is the 1-2 pocket, a righty is the 1-3 pocket. And if you don't have those terms exactly right and you call it wrong, the bowling community is all over you. They're, they are all over you. Online, now, when I was doing it for ESPN, they didn't have Twitter back then. Now, I mean, they'll just hit you up and just crush you. So you have to be right. I was, how much work did it take for you to get comfortable with terminology so that you, you walked in there going like, all right, I know my stuff and right. I'm not going to screw I know stories because I would interview bowlers. The first question I'd ask, Randy would ask about, my analyst would ask about, okay, go through your ball layout, meaning how many balls you have and how are they drilled exactly and how much surface is on them, meaning how much resistance to the lane. Okay. And what's your strategy? Like he would get deep into it and I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm following this. And then I'd ask the question something like... Would you worry about that stuff, by the way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know if that was... I would let defer. him do that. Or, I would defer okay. mostly, but I wanted to understand it. Okay. I think that really helped me a lot. I didn't know if that starts to get murky, and then you start to... You get yourself in a spot where you... It can be you, a little murky. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know if it's trying to avoid putting your foot in your mouth right. as much as possible and just being able to stick to strength. And my know. first question would always be to the bowler, how'd you get started in bowling? How old were you? And usually it's, I was two years old, and my mom took me... No, my mom and dad ran a bowling center in Wichita, and they took me with two hands. And so I, and I, cause I love stories and bowling gives you the chance as a play-by-play -play announcer to get into their stories so i would when i was the voice of the pba i took some heat from bowling fans and the pba sometimes who would say you, you defer to stories too much so generally speaking it's a 10 frame match i mean 12 balls for 300 if you have that which is awesome like a perfect game in baseball so the first five frames you can get into stories in the background where they're from how many wins they have how close they come to winning last year career earnings etc and then the last five if it's tight like a good basketball game yeah. you get into the game um, match. What uh, what's it like learning it? Because I always feel, and you know, I've done some gymnastics and I've done some wrestling. Two things I know nothing about. It's good. Um, good to learn. When I when I talk to gymnastics people, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, but when I talk to gymnastics people, I always feel like they want to teach you as much as possible. Lacrosse is the same way, mm -hmm. um, because they know that you don't know, mm -hmm. and they want you to know. When I do wrestling, I'm always very hesitant because I feel like they look at you and go, "Why don't you know?" 
and like you try you try to act like you know a little bit while still figuring things out how did you, obviously the bowling community i think is probably a little bit on that side yeah they gave me a hard time for the first couple of years how do you get in there it's not easy. Okay. It's not easy. I think learning, it, it's, it goes back to where the, ball, the pin reaction, they call it. So how, what do the pins do when the ball hits it? Exactly. Can you say the sequence right? Does it hit the pins light, which means high toward the one pin, or not? Like, okay. I mean, is, it, is it high? Is it light? Is it through the nose, which means right through the one pin? There, as I said, there are so many different terms. And I think they become comfortable with you once you know the sequence. How'd you learn it? Did you sit down with somebody and, yeah, and say, Randy Peterson do this with helped me? me a lot. Okay. My analysts helped me a lot about where, and I watch other bowler, bowling announcers and other shows. There weren't that many sure. to compare myself to. Um, but I, you know, when it comes down to it, like any sport you do, it's a competition. Sure. That's a, I love the one-on-one. And to me, it's like a really good point guard in an NCAA tournament game. You want that good point guard who makes the right decision at the right time to save your team from losing or help you to win. And that's exactly what happens in bowling. It's not making the bad shot. And bowling is interesting, Joel, because the oil breaks down. The bowlers know what the oil is like at the start. Yeah. Called the fresh, which means it hasn't been bowled on yet. Okay. And then as they warm up, they try to carve a path to that 1-3 pocket we talked about with surface, meaning a lot of resistance on the ball. That's the path they're going to take. And the boards are counted from the right to the left, one board on. So they've got to adjust and guess. It's a little bit like you and I trying to go to Augusta and play at the Masters on the hardest golf course in the world, under pressure, lights, TV audience, announcers. And read the break. And, and read it and try to figure out what's going to and predict what's going to happen. It's unlike any other sport, really. It's very unique. And sometimes you watch a bowling match and, boy, these guys score 200. Why are they so bad? I could go to my house lane. And throw a 300. Maybe you could because the oil is called, it's a house pattern. It's made for easy play and high scoring. <laughs> it really, it's yeah. very intricate. It's yeah. very deep. Just kills my confidence. It's yeah. a very cool sport to cover. And I've done it for a lot of years and I hope to continue. How'd you get into, for a long time, you were voice lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, you did it on TV at ESPN. You do it on radio now. Mm-hmm. How'd you get into lacrosse? And I, I obviously, I imagine you did it in college. Right. Um, well, as you know. To get on the air at WAR. You have to start with lacrosse. And Mike Tarico was our personnel director. How'd that he, go? He was the guy who would clear us, as you remember what that means, which get allowed to be on the air or not. And the way I was going to do it was to call lacrosse. And How? I'd never seen a live lacrosse game until I got to Syracuse. What was Can I divert real quick? Because sure. that was, I mean, that's a hell of a time to be at AER. Because yeah. that was, yeah. you were there, Tarico was there, Eagle was there. Ryan Eagle was there behind me. Was Tony, Roth Tony there. Creedy and Bill, Bill Roth was two years ahead of me. So he was my first director. Horde was uh, around there director. too, wasn't he? Dan and Tony were older. They weren't in school when I was there. McDonough oh, okay. was older. O'Brien was older. But those guys but all had like come That's like a six-year window where it's and like. Dave Pash came behind me by two years. And a lot. Tom Wormy was a very good announcer. The ACC was behind me two years. Did so. you guys know, like, did you know then that. I knew I wanted to be on the air. and I was well, going to work as hard as possible. Did you know, like, what that group could be at that time? Well, I tell this story a lot about Mike Tarico. So I was a freshman at Marion Hall. Do you know, remember oh, that? Absolutely. Okay. So it overlooked a courtyard. <laughs> And I went to high school in New Paltz, New York, which is in Ulster County, southern New York State, where the sun shines in a normal, it's sunny and rain, it's, it's normal, <laughs> basic northeastern weather, weather patterns, but Syracuse is so unique. So I remember, I think it rained 20 days in a row or something, October of my freshman year. And in this courtyard, overlooking, I'm doing my homework at Marion Hall, you'd see someone, people, students would walk by on their way to, to their classes or their dorm or apartment or whatever. And one guy in particular would walk by in a very unusual manner. And he looked very businesslike. He had a kind of a strange, uh, best way that, not a Stetson, but an odd hat. Uh, he looked like he was about 35 years old. And you remember, back in the old days, you might not be old enough to remember this, but when a pitcher would get on base in Major League Baseball, National League only could hit, of course, then, and they would be given this shiny satin jacket. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And they still probably have it in the dugout. They don't run the bases with these jackets the way they used to, to keep their arm warm. Yes, obviously. (laughs) Well, this guy walks by with a briefcase and this satin jacket. One day, it's the New York Jets jacket. So it's green with a white Jets logo. A couple days later, I look up, same guy, scooting by with his briefcase. It's a New York Mets jacket. Blue jacket, orange logo. A couple days later, same guy, New York Knicks jacket. Also satin. (laughs) That guy was Mike Tirico. His nickname in college was The Future because everyone knew how great he was going to be. He was the first to do so many different things. 
the first to be on the air as a sophomore at WAR to call games at student radio stations. Which is, to this day, crazy. Which is, just doesn't happen. Yeah. That's why they called him the future. He was that good. Professors yeah. would genuflect when he came by. <laughs> yeah, there's a light surrounding him. And look where he is. Host yeah. the Olympics now, NBC star. Obviously, great, great career at ESPN and ABC. Um, and as a junior, I remember watching his first ever weekend sportscast at WTVH, the CBS affiliate. So imagine Albert Brooks in the broadcasting movie, The Flop Sweat. Okay. This was Mike Tirico okay. on his first ever show. So he was nervous. But, of course, he knocked out of the park. I think within six months, he was promoted to sports director as a junior in college. So John Eves, who was a friend of mine, and also I interned for Mike and John, who was like 45 and had been <laughs> in the business for years, he was demoted because this super wonderkin, Mike Tirico, yeah. a junior in college, was promoted to sports director. And John took it because, you know, fine, because he knew how good Mike was. I remember covering the NCAA tournament. I don't think I ever told you this story. Um, I want to say it was 1991 or two. Syracuse is hosting a regional. And some out-of-town media is crossing paths. And I heard someone say, who was that guy on Channel 5 last night? And I turned to him and said, you know, hoping I could meet this guy. Maybe I could make some connections for my, my next big job. And I said, oh, his name is Mike Tirico. And he's, uh, he's a senior at Syracuse. And he's, he's, one of our, he's one of our best. He said, that guy was dynamite. He has a great future. The future, Mike Tirico. He was right. <laughs> they were all right, Joel. Um, so he clears you. So he, he was your PD. Me. He was my personal director. And uh, I became personal director as a senior, but yes, he was mine. Um, what's it like in those meetings? Can you take me inside that? Way back when, you mean? Do you remember? Yeah. Oh, boy. I do remember one um, critique I got from Mike Rose calling a football game. And I think I had said something like the gridiron, and he misheard me as saying gridlock. He's like, why would you be talking about a highway <laughs> traffic jam? <laughs> he was very serious. Charlie Palillo was a longtime radio talk show host in Houston, also excellent, who called the famous two-point conversion West Virginia game in 87. Okay. Syracuse went 11-0, didn't play 12 games back then. Don McPherson to Michael Owens, still, I believe, the best – college radio call I've ever heard of any big moment. I was doing stats in the booth. Okay. Doug Sherman, now at ESPN, was the color analyst, his student. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but those guys were very serious. Like I said, Mike carried the briefcase around in college as a sophomore. Like, he meant, it was all business yeah. with those guys. <laughs> and, and they were great people. Doug is still one of my dearest friends. I'm very close with Ian Eagle and still in contact with a lot of those guys. TJ Fultz, dear friend. Um, but they were very serious. Even then, Newhouse had this incredible reputation. That's why I went there in the first place. The yeah. Sports Illustrated article that I saw as a high school junior, probably, or senior. Um, so you got on the air doing lacrosse. If I yes. can get back to the sure. <laughs> Let's go back to lacrosse. Sure. Um, obviously, we all start doing lacrosse in Syracuse. Um, but how did you get doing it professionally? How did you wind up, like you wound up being the bowling mm -hmm. guy, how did you wind up mm -hmm. being the lacrosse guy? Well, I was doing the Women's College World Series on ESPN. I did two years of that. And Beth Mullins, another Syracuse grad who has since won the Glickman Award and then WAR Hall of Fame, two major honors for broadcasters. She had her master's at Syracuse, as from uh, Cicero. Lehigh um, basketball? Lafayette basketball? Lafayette. 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 One of the all-time greats of Lafayette. She's got Skewer exactly. in eastern Pennsylvania for she, mixing those up. Yeah. <laughs> and she was my analyst. She was the analyst. She's a play-by-play -play analyst. Really? She actually did, did um, analyst work on a couple of College World Series. And then Ed Placey, another Syracuse grad, called me up and he said, hey, we're going to make a change. Um, Lee Felsmo, longtime voice of the Final Four for lacrosse and ESPN, was, was being removed, and, and I, I had the job. So I was pretty excited. And I had done ESPN regional stuff. So ERT, they called back in the day before ESPN3 came on, way before, uh, sorry, ESPNU came on, way before, um, of course, ESPN3. So these are regional syndicated games. So we do the first or second round of the NCAA tournament. But the Final Four always was with Leaf, and sometimes they weren't even live back then. That's So my crazy. first Final Four was 04, the day Syracuse changed from Orange Men to Orange. Oh, good luck. First time. <laughs> Daryl Gross came in, the AD, and made the big change. But Mikey Powell won it on late goal. He beat Navy in the championship game. And unforgettable. In the rain in Baltimore, huge Navy crowd. Memorial Day, I mean, so many Navy Marine Corps uh, veterans were there. And so emotional. And, and Navy has never won a national championship in lacrosse and still haven't. Um, lucky enough to get that assignment. Now, I was, did it for six years. 
uh, in my last lacrosse game for ESPN was Syracuse National Championship win over Cornell the overtime. That's game, a way to go out. Which was the way to go out. My gosh. One of my former students came up to me, and he was working with me as an AD in the truck, and he said, call me, will you just call myself? <laughs> and I said, sure, man. And name was Brian Robbins, so I called Sale up, and it was my call. His ringtone was my <laughs> call of Syracuse Cornell on the game-winning goal. Do you remember what you said? Cody Jamison. Um, Do you know what you said for the NIMS goal to tie it? <laughs> it's a true story. A couple times in my career, you get so excited. And I, I think what happens is physically, and I'm not a doctor, but you yell a little too loudly. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. I don't think I've ever told anyone this, Joel. This is good for your thing. A little out-of-body experience happens. I'm not, be, I'm not being weird, but like I went so crazy when he tied the game. Because the emotion of being a Syracuse grad, sure. Kenny Nims and the Matt Abbott, you know the story and know the game. Um, it was something, I said something along the lines of Abbott makes this deal to Nims on the doorstep. I mean, I just gave it the biggest score call. Kenny Nims ties the game. I mean, just went berserk. And for a second, like, it was weird. Like, I almost <laughs> felt like I was looking at myself, like, in the back of the booth with Quint Kesnick. <laughs> Honestly, I've never told anyone that story because it's weird. It's weird. But it happened again this year doing the radio when North Carolina won. So I think it comes to do it like this huge moment, and you want to nail the call and have the right person who's shooting. Now, when Jamison won the game from Dan Hardy, I didn't go as berserk as Kenny Nims tying the game. Sure. Because that meant so much to tie well, it. It was like with two seconds left. I mean, yeah, it was 1.4 or something left, yeah. and, and it was Syracuse. True. So... Those are cool moments. And I've gotten a couple chances when Syracuse has made it back to the Final Four to call them on radio, but they've lost, they haven't won the championship since. So, unfortunately, I don't quite have that opportunity. So, it's a combination of your school winning a, a big championship. What was being at ESPN like? Um, and then the move to CBS for you. Mm -hmm. um, how hard is that to... Uh, Carter makes that jump. Uh, other, plenty of other guys have done that. Um, what's the draw of going? You know, I, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. It's my nerd out. Like, and sometimes people will leave <laughs> WWE to go do something else. And people are like, what are you doing? Um, like, you're leaving the mothership to go try this over here. Uh, like, what's the what's the process like where you're going? Mm, this sounds good. It's hmm. a good question. Uh, I've been at ESPN 13 years and probably done 1,200 shows. Uh, 20 different sports. I mean, I thought I was a very valuable announcer to them in terms of having versatility and experience and really been able to plug into anything you, they wanted me to do at the right time. But time marches on, and a lot of new announcers had come in at that point and just lose your, what people would ask me, what do you like to do most about uh, at ESPN? What events do you like to do the, the most? And I would say just, I just want to hold on to what I have sure. this year to next year because there's just no guarantee. And it's very easy for someone to come up and for you to lose an event, lose a package. So two weeks before the bowling season was to start in 2008, I think it was 2008, I get a call from one of my bosses and he, you know, hey Dave, uh, are you sitting down? I'm like, that's never good. You don't want to hear that, ever. Um, and he said, well, we're taking off bowling. And Rob Stone, now Fox yep. host, does a great job, unbelievable job with Fox football and basketball out in LA, was taking over. And I'm very good friends with Rob. I've done a lot of events with him as he was my sideline as play-by-play -play for football and hoops and whatever. So Rob called me and he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about this. It's not his fault. Sure. It's just a new coordinating producer would come in and you lose an event or lose a package. In that case, it was 20 events. It was a lot of money. And it was devastating. Absolutely devastating. So you hang on. You try to adjust and acquiesce and do other sports they want you to do. And whenever they called me, I said yes. I mean, for 13 years, really. But in the end, you're just a piece, a part of a massive grid. And now, that was before ESPN3. Sure. There are so many. They had 1,000 contracted announcers when I was there with all their platforms. Yeah. News and Deportes and 3 and you and um, 2 and you and now 3. So it's grown. Uh, so to me, it was a very easy choice. CBS College wanted a lead announcer. 65 events, a staffer with benefits. It was it was simple, yep. simple choice. And ESPN let me out of my contract early, which is even nicer. <laughs> and it's going well, to be exciting to be the lead guy. Mm -hmm. You're somebody saying, you know what, Dave, we've got enough faith in you mm -hmm. to, we want you to do all of this stuff, mm -hmm. and there's got to be an inherent uh, 
an inherent feeling of wantedness that comes with that it was and, great. and try something new. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to work with a new group and then knowing that the CBS people were in the process of taking over and now we're totally run by CBS management. So our graphic look, the Blazers we talked about, they're all CBS. And you're doing bowling again and you're still doing, doing lacrosse. Bowling and some lacrosse and arena You're still football doing the Final Four. And, t- and doing the Final Four on radio. Uh, Tom Hart was there, very good announcer. He's now at SEC Network and ESPN. He's excellent. He was at CBS at the time. Um, Jason Knapp, who's another Syracuse grad, yep. who's done so many different things. It's great, great uh, talent. Um, was there as well. So it was great to be called the lead announcer for a while, but that changed too. <laughs> it, just, it just changes. Things change. Um, I read an article, uh, I think it was inside the cross, that they had written about you, um, and you had just kind of done a rundown about your whole career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to, if I can end on this note too. Sure. Um, but you talked about traveling and what this job does for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess bring it full circle because that's where we started this conversation sure. too. Um, and uh, you talked about, you know, you'd seen it all from like irate passengers to like lost luggage and everything. Mm. Uh, are there, are there, is there one or two or maybe three things that like travel wise uh, sticks oh, in your man. mind that, oh, uh, that you love about this business or, <laughs> or like moments of ire? <laughs> well, I've never missed a show. And I have come close. So the, I think the, the most interesting travel story, I've got a couple, but one of the best would be Syracuse-West Virginia college basketball game for ESPN Regional back then. Now, this is the Big East days. It was a pretty big game. Sure. Two o'clock tip. I had time to get to my flight going to Dallas for bowling, which aired at noon Eastern live the next day in Dallas. I would not advise this, Joel. <laughs> this is not an itinerary you should try to emulate at, by any means. But... You know the story. You're from Jersey, and you know Syracuse weather. Well, you get the forecast the night before. Big yeah. blizzard coming. Nor'easter coming. You're going to get crushed. Well, I can't back out of the basketball game. It's yeah. too late. Yeah. We have our flights booked. We're good to go. So I remember leaving the truck at the Carrier Dome and looking up. No, no snow. I'm like, yeah, oh, right. you know what? We made it. False alarm. We're going to be <laughs> fine. And then I checked at halftime because I was nervous as a cat about missing that bowling show. That was my main package. The ESPN game was only regional. Plus, Tess, we were dating. My wife-to-be was going to meet me in Dallas. I didn't want to miss you know, a chance <laughs> to see her. So I remember going at halftime and going out and seeing just a whiteout. I mean, blizzard. It's just coming down sideways. It's howling. It's windy. You know those Syracuse snows. Uh-huh. You can't see five feet in front of me. Like, oh, my gosh. This is bad. But you got to call the second half. So I returned. One of the game officials ca- came over several times. Um, let me see your phone. How's that up? You know, how? Because he had a flight. He had a game the next night, next day somewhere, like a noon game at Notre Dame or something. Too far to drive. Way yeah. too far to drive. So <laughs> I remember um, dropping off my producer at the hotel. He's like, I'm not going to try. The airport was closed in Syracuse. Closed, which is rare, <laughs> as you know. So I dropped him at the ho- airport hotel. I remember driving to the Syracuse airport just hoping maybe somehow, like, a runway had been cleared in 10 minutes since I heard it was closed, which, of course, it hadn't. So I got on the Delta hotline. A woman said calmly, well, there's a flight tomorrow morning out of Rochester at 5.30 to Atlanta. Gets you into Dallas at 10. On the air live at 11. So the, the bowling people, I told them they were prepared. They had Randy was going to call the match. And one of the bowlers who had not made the TV show was just going to do um, the, the analysis work that day. And it would have been fine because yeah, Randy's sure. got a great personality. He would have carried it no problem at all. So <laughs> I remember driving to the Rochester airport from Syracuse okay. in a rental car. <laughs> two hands on the wheel. Two hands <laughs> on the wheel. Lake effect snow. No visibility. Like you hear people say, oh, visibility is a half mile. There's zero feet. Zero inches. <laughs> About 15 miles an hour, that's 70 miles. It took almost all night to get there. This is after a game, so driving, driving, driving. Gets to the Holiday Inn near the Rochester Airport. It's still blizzard coming down. Can't see foot in front of him. All right, park the rental car. Check in. Got like two hours sleep. Wake up call, look out, praying. Please let it have stopped, and it'll be fine, and we'll see like stars. No, still (laughs) coming down sideways. Car is like buried in snow, foot of snow on the car. Sweep it off. Go to the airport, return the rental car, go to the Delta desk. Back then, we didn't have yeah. uh, smartphones and we didn't have any kind of internet passes, you know, boarding pass. You had to actually physically get your boarding pass at a desk. And the woman said, Oh, good morning, sir. Where are you headed today? As if it was <laughs> 70 degrees and sunny and a perfectly nice day. And I say, uh, Dallas? And she goes, Oh, no problem at all. Types in there. Oh, Mr. Ryan, no problem at all. He's uh, gate two. <laughs> go through security. So I'm like, Well, this is great. Yeah. I'm going to make it. It's 4.30 in the morning. I can't see straight. I have yeah, no sleep. 
remember getting on the plane, sitting down here in the pilot say, good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us here in flight 2012 to Atlanta here on Delta Airlines. Uh, we'll be departing at a runway uh, one west in about 10 minutes. Thanks for joining us. Light snow. On the, uh, I'm like, light snow? <laughs> Are we really going to take off? And we just go. And they, they, That's had, incredible. they had cleared the runway. I landed at 1010 for an 11 a.m. show. Did you get there the by what? The runner picked me up. I got there at about, in about 20 minutes. That's insane. And did the bowling show. I made it. That's awesome. Went right back to the airport. Tess did not make it, unfortunately. She had to bag the trip because of the, the long flight for her from Oregon, where she lived at the time. But I made that show, man. I made that show. I've never missed a show. I've come close. That's as close as I've come. That's my wackiest I have others, but I think that's the best story I've got. Well, uh, on that note, I know you've got to get to Indy because uh, you've got an early flight tomorrow, and i got to get to Indy because I have to go home. Um, and I've had to use the restroom for about the last 20 minutes of this interview because I drank three bottles of water during the game. Um, you should go. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dave, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Good to Real see pleasure. you. Real pleasure. Thanks, Joel. Awesome. Thanks that's Dave Ryan here on Play by Playcast. We continued the conversation, by the way, after we stopped rolling, and I really did have to go to the bathroom, like, really badly. Because I drink a lot of water, a lot of water, an obscene amount of water during broadcasts. And I think my mouth was dry that night. So I'm pretty positive I was five bottles of water in at that point. And we started taping the podcast immediately after the postgame show finished on the radio. So, like, it was a bad situation. <laughs> but we kept talking, uh, and, and the... The thing that Dave talked about after that, too, we talked about one more travel story, and I don't remember the cities and where he was going, but I do remember he talked about, what I, I think it was ESPN at the time, was the network, but he talked about uh, them sending him a driver to get him from one spot to another in some sort of very small window overnight doing games. I'm butchering this story. And again, I really, I, I just, I had to go to the bathroom. Um, but the story is fantastic from the standpoint of, the guy was, he was young. He was a runner or an intern or something of that nature. And like popping five hour energies, uh, driving Dave at like 90 bajillion miles an hour to get him uh, from one location of a game to the next location of a game. Uh, think you're going to fly off the road and eventually make it safely. But uh, those are other travel stories from Dave Ryan. Um, I haven't had an experience like that yet. I don't know if I want to. I'm sure somebody has had something or, or a lot of people have had things similar to that, though, and we can all empathize with what travel nightmares can be like in this industry. So many thanks to Dave for joining us, and hopefully uh, he and I will cross paths again here in a couple of weeks at the Mid-American Conference Tournament in Cleveland. Uh, CBS has some games for that. CBS Sports Network has some games for that, and, and, and hopefully Ball State does as well. All right, next week on the podcast, Bob Joyce from the Connecticut women's basketball team Talk about what it's like to broadcast 100 consecutive victories, pretty much all of them when you know you're going to win. Uh, we'll talk about the minutia of doing that. Uh, Alex Faust is coming up on the podcast in a couple of weeks as well. One of the best young up-and-coming broadcasters in this industry. Uh, we'll talk to the 28-year-old Alex Faust about uh, the unbelievable rise he's made through this industry um, and uh, what's worked for him. And Lisa Byington will be on the podcast as well. First female play-by-play commentator that we've had on the pod so really excited to talk to her if you have questions for any of them i can't guarantee it's going to jive with when we do the interviews and when i get questions but do shoot uh, shoot them my way uh, hit me up let me know what you want to know and uh, find us on social media at joel godet and act pxpcast many thanks again to dave ryan looking forward to uh, our conversations coming up in the weeks to come as well and looking forward to you joining us back here on play by Playcast. hit it marshmallow we are out I'm